0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Lee, with my other... If you heard that, that was a Catahoula dog. That Uh, was Moose. (laughs) Stephen's dog. Yeah. Yes. And uh, this... Man, I'm with my co-host, Stephen Lewis, finally. What's up, man? It's been a couple weeks. It's been a while. We've been busy. Mm, Yeah, we apologize to all the listeners. Uh, This is the busiest time of year for me, so lots of travel and craziness. And simply, man, I've just had to... I was getting to the point where I was looking at it and I wasn't spending any time with my family at all. And that's like the important part.
1: Yeah, exactly. So,
0: so I mean, yeah. I was just spending all of my time with uh, work. And then if it wasn't work, I was filling it in with all of the other, you know, edge things that I have to do, especially, you know, and, and this podcast and all that other stuff. So yeah, I apologize for the delay, but man, I just had to, I had to put priorities right for Totally. A while. No, that's so, totally fine. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Uh, anywho, uh, but now hopefully... We're going to be more consistent with some things now that the travel schedule's dropped down. Yep. Race season is pretty much over, mm-hmm. but we've got uh, plenty of, of stuff to cover and we're going to get back into some deep dives for y'all. Uh, totally. A lot of people are requesting that we go uh, back into some details. and some Get
1: some stuff. bike nerdery going
0: on. Yep. Yeah. They want it. So, yeah. uh, with Steven, this is the Mountain Bike Podcast. Where can you find it?
1: Uh, you can find it at mtbpodcast.com.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Instagram, we are mm. at mtbpodcast.com. The Twitter, we are the MTV podcast because someone's a jerk and took <laughs> MTV podcast apparently, and uh, and we're MTV podcast on Facebook.
0: Yes, uh, you can find this podcast all over wherever you listen to podcasts. You can review it there, please. Five star reviews would be sweet. Yes, we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If it's not a five star review, genuinely, just reach out and let us know what we can do to make it better. Yeah, uh, Stephen. With that, let's just jump straight into the news, eh? Okay. News team. A- All right, first bit of news, uh, somewhat sad, but also totally understandable note Todd Wells has retired. Yeah. Kind of crazy. I know. Well, how old is he now? I mean, it's, well, he's definitely, he's due for it. I'm not sure uh, if he's, I I believe he's still under 40, but uh, could be wrong there. Um, So I'm not exactly sure on Todd's age, but I mean, Todd's, it's just going to be crazy because cross country mountain biking without Todd it's going to be a little weird. It'll be a different dynamic. He's been a staple for, for man, for a long time. So uh, congratulations, Todd, on an awesome career. Mm -hmm. Um, you've always been a a good sport about things and, you know, whereas you can think of different stories with different riders where perhaps they, you know, had questionable judgment or anything else like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure Todd's, you know, made mistakes, anything else, but Todd isn't known for that. Todd's Todd's always even keeled and, and keeping things well measured. And so uh, a solid person as well as a, as an incredible racer. Yeah. So, uh, he's going to be going into, I believe he's going into the, the finance business. So uh, mortgage uh, sales, I believe. So I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's what I read. So he'll be doing some more racing, working on his grand Fondo as well. Uh, the dirt Fondo, I believe that he does. So getting that going and he'll probably, probably be racing every once in a while.
1: Totally. I'm sure he's not giving up entirely on bikes.
0: (laughs) No, no. I'm sure he loves them too much. And Coop, his little boy, that, that little kid is ripping around on this little strider and now a pedal bike, I think. So yeah, Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, something that's cool though, about this, I think is, um, Todd, if you think about it, he kind of spanned, I mean, he did everything from world cup racing successfully up like toward top 10 finishes at world cups, which is insane. Yeah. All the way to to domestic you know short track stuff to domestic racing and and now he even spread all the way over to the more endurance stuff that we're seeing from epic rides. exactly that's pretty that's amazing, man. What yeah, a career. So. Totally. Kudos, Todd. good job. Uh, I'm sure you'll be doing some X-terras too. so on a sad note. Uh, show air, the company, uh, ran by Scott Tedro, or perhaps it's in some ways affiliated with Scott Tedro. I'm, I'm not sure Scott, if you're the owner or if, uh, how that works, but anyways, uh, show air pulled out of the U S cup mountain bike series.
1: Wonder, did they explain why?
0: Uh, yeah, it's, I think that it's because they're reallocating their support to the U S cup cyclocross series from now on. Okay. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. And they're still supporting racing, which is really cool. But that is, it's kind of a bummer. So permission to speak freely, Stephen? Absolutely. Okay.
1: Thank you. Just give me your five bucks like normal and <laughs> you can speak however you wish.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, you know, f- rewind to three years ago and there were rumors of the U.S. getting a World Cup at Benelli Park, yeah. which was a little strange uh-huh. because uh, why should Benelli Park have a World Cup, right? Yeah. Now it's, it's, if Los Angeles gets the Olympics, which I think they were awarded that, that's the likely venue for cross country mountain biking, by the way. But so that's okay. a little sad, but yeah. anyways, if anybody's been to Benelli park, they know why I'm saying that it's not exactly uh, a natural mountain biking course. Yeah. It's got steep, punchy, brutal little climbs, mm-hmm. but it's like a bike path. Basically the single track is just not tough. Yeah. Um, it's not very exciting. They end up stacking up some logs in the spot. And like some rocks and that's the technicality in like two spots. It's not great. So the, Scott Tedrow was dumping in a ton of money into the series. We had live streaming, we had helicopters, we had like all this crazy stuff. And, and I feel like we kind of got the cart ahead of the horse because the racing itself wasn't that great in the yeah. sense of like the course and all that stuff. But Scott was doing the best he could, I think, to, to get the series, some exposure and everything else. But the whole industry kind of just became dependent on Scott. Yeah, he was floating the industry, so to speak. The Ride Biker Alliance team, the Show Air team, the everything else. He was supporting the majority of the riders. He was supporting the whole race series. He was doing everything like that. So when Scott pulled out after they didn't get the World Cup, and Scott had dumped a ton of money and time in, they pulled out. And yeah. I don't blame him. Yeah, of course. Which we
1: talked about on previous episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's totally okay. Uh, but the problem was, I think the whole industry kind of became dependent upon him. And then as a result, we are now in this spot where showers pulled their money out of XC racing and into cyclocross. Now we're without a series entirely.
1: Yeah. And, and who's at the reins at this point? That's the big I thing. I don't What's even know. On?
0: I don't know if anybody knows. I mean, the pro XCT series is still around Yeah, and it would be cool to see that pick up some more momentum. Cause I like that. Um, and I don't know if this is intentional. But I like the locations okay. better for Pro XCT. Yeah, it's more natural, except yeah. for Benelli Park. Well, that was a US Cup, but I think they did also make they that did a, Pro do a Pro XCT, XCT course. Yeah, thing. I yeah. think it overlapped. They shared. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyways, it's uh, it's kind of a turbulent time for mm-hmm. cross country racing. Yeah, I know a lot of people are always you know saying cross country is dead. Well, it's the closest it's been to having a flat heartbeat right now. Yeah, and it's not that it's going to die and go away. No. It won't. It's going to change. Here. Somehow. it's just changing. Yeah. And it's changing at the racing level, but it's also changing at the team level. Uh, the ride biker team's done yeah. from uh, from what I understand. So that means no more of that. Um I'm not going to say any other names and sponsors because I don't want to get anybody in trouble beforehand, but uh I know of multiple top cross country racers in our country who are not going to have the same team anymore because the team's just gone. Yeah. So, uh I think we're going to see some consolidation of teams and some, you know, common, you know, riders racing on the same team. I think that we'll see uh perhaps some research or I, I should say some new teams coming up or new companies or something else getting involved and in supporting athletes. Yeah. But above all, I think that we're gonna see less teams and more individuals being sponsored. Yeah. And basically that's going to be because a team has a hard time promising a lot of value through a traditional model, but an athlete can promise more value through, you know, non-traditional models, through, you know, actually creating a brand and and engaging with people through social and everything else and creating valuable content for people. I think that they'd then be able to get more value that way. But a team in most cases doesn't do that. Yeah. So I don't know. They're
1: going more of the way of the ambassador and athlete than teams. And that's been happening for a couple of years now. So,
0: yeah. So look for that to change. Yep. Look for that to change. Uh, Next bit of news. This is exciting stuff because it's all local to us. Downeyville now has a very long trail. A very long trail, <laughs> seven
1: thousand <laughs> yeah. feet of continuous descending.
0: Yeah, That's holy crazy. cow! Yeah, it goes from the Sierra Buttes from the top of the Sierra Buttes, yep. Buttes right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then it ends up working its way down toward Downeyville, mm-hmm. uh, and then I don't—I still haven't ridden Downeyville.
1: I yeah, know we need to go seriously. It's, it's really
0: bad. Yeah, I still haven't ridden it. Um, it, they call it tower to town, but it works its way all the way down eventually to town in Downeyville. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it's, it's basically opening up some trail that, that used to be closed down. Yeah. Um, namely the Packer saddle area and then the trail that they call baby heads over there, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be cool to see. So they've done a lot of work. They've also worked over, uh, or they're planning on putting in some new trail in, the the, the, that nearby region, yeah. like Mills peak, gray Eagle, Blairsden, Portola, that whole region, they're looking at putting in some new trail there that yeah. would connect all of those communities. Yeah. If you can go onto Facebook, look up angry single speeder or Sierra Buttes trail stewardship. Actually, that's probably the best one to look at Sierra Buttes trail stewardship. Go on there, look at it and please there's an opportunity and a link for you to send an email and just send a quick email. I sent one off. Took me less than five minutes. And I basically said, I told them, I felt like them adding these trails would be a massive gain to the region, to the communities there. It would connect them yep. for people that are coming in from out of region that are looking to spend money when hospitality in food and lodging and entertainment, everything else. Yeah. And they're the type of people that you also want in your town because they care about keeping places beautiful. Exactly. So that was basically it. That's all I said. Yeah. Uh, you can use my words more or less even, uh, but send that email. Uh, because they need to know that, uh, people are supporting and wanting that. Yep. So that would be really helpful, but man, that's a long descent. It is 7,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of descending. Totally. Uh, last bit of news. This isn't really news, but I wanted to share it. This, their bell helmets did a video on John Tomac. That was awesome. I don't is know that if Eli Tomac's this. dad. Indeed, it is. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of him? No. Nah. What, did, what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, quite the mountain bike legend. If oh. people if people don't know, uh, he ended up he became pro. And in this video, he talks about it. He went from Cat Four on the road to pro on the road in one year. He yeah. was over in Europe racing the next year for team Seven Eleven. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Racing the Giro d'Italia did all that stuff. Uh, ended up going over to mountain biking, uh, because he mountain was tired is of better. The... Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's better. He was tired of the doping on the roadside, mm-hmm. all that business. Yeah. Uh, anyways, check this story out. It's so good. Uh, it's a short video. It's got gorgeous videography. He still rips yeah. too. They had like I love how they didn't like try to show that off, but there were just moments where I was like, oh, wow. What he just did right there was awesome. Like small little moves that you can tell the guy still has crazy skill. I've heard Eli say that he has a pretty, like, um, he still has some sort of asthma. Okay. Which actually I think was one of the reasons that kind of pushed him out of racing was he was developing over time. It was getting worse, uh, pretty bad asthma. And um, Eli said, yeah, I, I can kill him going up. You know, on trails. Yeah. But then going down, he said he still can't keep up with his dad. That's funny. Which, you know, he's like the, uh, currently one of the best motocross riders in the world. Exactly. And his dad just destroys him still, which (laughs) is awesome. Yep. So John Tomac, an absolute legend. That covers it for the news, Steven. Time. Yeah. Time to get into the questions. We we are not going to get into them all. There are a lot and we won't get to them, but.
1: We'll try to get through as many as possible.
0: Indeed. Let's get into it. Question. It's a
1: ridiculous Question false. That's debatable.
0: First one is from Steve. Steve? Not me. <laughs> no, not you. you didn't submit this one. I did not. Okay. I would have just asked you. Know, you. We can, yeah. I was gonna say we can just talk, man. Yeah. It works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Steve says, love the podcast. Five stars without a doubt. I've got a question about remote lockouts and compatibility between brands. In the interest of cleaning up my bars a little, could I use one of the Fox CTD dual remotes for the rear shock and a RockShox fork with an RCT3 damper? They both, both use three position levers, so I'm hopeful. Thank you. So he he has a, let's see, he's got a RockShox fork and a Fox shock. Kind of sounds like a specialized deal, but that's actually common. Yeah. Fox shocks are specced much more commonly than shocks. Mm-hmm. And he wants to, he has a three position damper on each of them. Mm -hmm. He wants to use a Fox remote to control both. Now, I want to say that I have actually
1: seen this before, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure on this one. Um, Mm -hmm. That is, the way that the fork works is a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, I think you should be able to do that. What's the worst that you do? Set it all up, try it. If it doesn't work, you know, then your Mm -hmm. cable pole might be a little bit different. But if you think about it, All of the Scott bikes with their, you know, with the nude rear shock and, you know, all that, they have the dual lockout system. I know I've seen bikes that come that way and have had like a rock shock fork with uh, a a Fox rear.
0: Yeah. So that's my, my thought is just keep an eye out for the different, basically pull. How much it pulls. Yeah. Yeah, So you may get, for example, with a Fox lockout with your shock, you know, one press of it may make you locked out or change the valving. But in the front, that may actually not go all the way to where it needs to. Yeah. So yeah, it. but it's pretty easy to test out. You don't even have to mount it up on your bike. Uh, basically all you'll have to do is just connect the cables first. Mm-hmm. And then after you connect the cables, just take that remote and then try it first. Exactly. I would do that. Um, and let us know how that goes, Steve. Sorry we don't have like a, a, a sure answer for you on that one. We just haven't dealt with that issue yeah. before.
1: But I think it so. should work.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, we've seen it before. <clears throat> All right. From Mason, he says, I'm an aspiring bike mechanic, but I'm worried it's not a viable career and don't know the best way to get into the field. If you have any tips or advice, it would really help. Love the podcast. Keep it up. PS five stars. So
1: Mason, I don't know if you're talking about wanting to be a professional mechanic for like a team Mm. and travel with the team, or if you're talking career at a local bike shop. Um, but in all honesty, Um, The only real viable career you have in being a mechanic is eventually owning a shop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's where it becomes a career.
1: Yeah. You're, you know, the traveling mechanics don't make a ton of money. Mm -mm. They, I mean, it's, you're talking the bicycle industry and, you know, funding that is not always, you're not going to make 50 grand a year being a bike mechanic, no matter what. That's end of the line, you know, just bottom line. That's how it's going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's too, it's. And it's tough too. I mean, if you look at, so let's look at Enduro World Series. Yeah. Okay. So we have Enduro World Series racing going on. Uh, two, three, four, or actually I should say one to five riders per team, right? Now the team mechanics, a lot of the time they'll just have one mechanic in most yeah. cases. Mm-hmm. So you're really, you know, we always talk about the crazy odds to become a pro bike racer yeah. and granted a lot of talent and results and all that stuff adds up into that. But in terms of just pure odds, man there are a lot of people that want to be mechanics and there are less mechanics than pro riders. Exactly. It's kind of tricky. So Mason, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but it will be tough. But that said, I really do think that, you know, if bike shops, that whole industry is in flux right now and it's changing, Yes, we are going to see a massive flip in terms of what bike shops or how people service bicycles and everything else within the next 20 years, I think. Yeah. And as a result, if you can be forward thinking, you have a savvy business mind. I think that you could find yourself partnering your love of working on bikes with something that, that really could actually be sustainable and, and you could be part of the change that I think is going to happen. Exactly. So that could work.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and just kind of as an idea for you, you know, when I spent my time running the local bike shop here. Cannondale actually offered me a position, uh, which they have, they ended up finding a really cool guy. His name's Vaughn. Vaughn's
0: Vaughn's are always cool.
1: Yeah. So he actually
0: does this selection. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Great groceries. So he, sorry, (laughs) it's okay. Sorry, Vaughn. I don't know who you are, but you're, I'm sure you're great
1: too. And not a grocery (laughs) store.
0: He's not, not a, he's not a grocery (laughs) grocery
1: store mogul or tycoon or anything. Okay. Um, But he actually travels around in a Cannondale sprinter and he teaches dealers about lefty specific service, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the new locker pivot um, system that they have. He actually teaches bike shops how to deal with them, how to work on them, how to, you know, understand the bikes better. That's his job. He's more of a tech guy. Right. But he actually makes a good salary Mm -hmm. and but he has to travel a lot. So yeah. so that's that it would be the viable career path for a bicycle mechanic is get to a point where you are able to offer your services to a company a bike company on that sort of level and you go teach bike mechanics how to do things.
0: Yeah. Education is something that brands really work hard on. You know, we need to invest in that because people are used to getting information very quickly and very easily these days. Yeah. So we spend, I know at trainer road, we put, a massive amount of resources behind education that's a, a big part of what we do and we'll be continuing to increase that all the time yeah so yeah if you know your stuff and you've you know paid your dues so to speak to a company you might be able to be in a position like that too so uh Ken, next question. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Five stars. He even used the star emoji. I did see that. Well done, Ken. Yeah. He says, Hey, I'm looking for a new hardtail. I live in Michigan and ride trail through I trail ride three times a week to build myself myself up for the Iceman Cometh race in November every year. If you've never heard of it, look it up. I have heard of it. Okay. I don't want to sound uh, callous at all, Ken, but I think this race, I have heard more about this race in terms of suggesting that I come race this race than like anything else. It's okay. amazing. Okay. Uh, yeah. People really make a lot of noise about this one yeah. and it looks cool. Yeah. Uh, there there was a dad joke there. It looks very cold many years too, because it snows and stuff. But okay. anyways, it does look cool and I do have family in Michigan. So maybe that should happen sometime. Okay. I'd also like to do the Margie Jessic 100 that happens in the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. It's fully unsupported. Yeah. That's terrible. It's like, start. We'll see you at some point. Yeah. <laughs> see you when you're done <laughs> <Yeah>. or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, he says if you've never heard it, look it up. Fundraising in northern lower Michigan, not a Uber. Uh, Uber being Upper Peninsula people. Anyway, I'm looking at either getting the Trek Pro Caliber Niner Air 9, Yeti Arc, or Cannondale FSI. I'm six foot, 250 pounds. And I'm losing more weight every day. Is a carbon bike good for somebody my size or should I be looking at aluminum?
1: I don't necessarily think that, no, I I think you can be on carbon all day long. Totally fine with that. Um, The problem you're going to have is that they don't make the ARC carbon anymore from Yeti. So you can't buy a Yeti unless you buy a used one. Used, yeah. Um, I really like the FSI.
0: The FSI is a good
1: bike. And I really like the Pro Caliber. Procaliber's a little bit steep on head tube angle. Yeah. It's more um,
0: traditional in terms of the geometry, but it yeah. does have the ISO speed decoupler yeah. in the back. Yeah. That's such a ridiculous name. I feel like uh, that's a decoupler.
1: Yeah. I feel like, like a trailer hitch
0: thing <laughs> it's, to me. It sounds like something from back to the future. or something. that is it's just tr- absurd. Okay. That's you know? fair. Yeah. Put a um, banana in it. It'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> the Mr. Fusion. You just stuff a banana in your track yeah, frame. Exactly. All that's, that's what you do. <laughs> um, but it's, I, in terms of geometry, I'm saying the FSI is the way to go. Yep.
1: Even over the, the Niner is going to be more traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, in its geometry I think that the FSI really is the bike to go with there
0: yep it's good I I know uh I know a lot of people that have so uh well I'll use Keegan Swenson for example because he's yeah. at the pointy end of, of cross-country racing in the US yeah that FSI in many cases he says it feels just as capable and in, in rough terrain as his scalpel yeah just because the geometry is so good on that bike yeah
1: geometry is dialed um the the save Micro suspension setup in the rear. I mean, everything about that FSI says let's be a trail hardtail, but also let's be at the top of XC.
0: Yep. One I would uh, consider too is the new Epic Hardtail. Yeah. That one is a good bike too. Uh, You really, I think that, you know, at six foot and 250 pounds, being a Clydesdale, that doesn't mean that you can't ride carbon for sure. No. Um, That also doesn't mean that you can't ride a hardtail. You can totally do it. Um, the only thing that I would, I would just, you know, consider is the fact that if you buy a lot of these bikes, a lot of the time they'll come with a pretty lightweight wheel set yeah, and it might not be up to the task of supporting a guy that's 250 pounds. So you might just want to look at some 28 hole wheels, um, something with a little bit or 28 spoke wheels, something with a little bit more strength to it. Of course. Yeah. So for example, if you have Stan's crest that come on the bike, meh. Uh, Consider going to some flows, maybe. Um, Or even just the RGX, yeah. Yeah, that could could help. Yeah. Um, But another thing
1: I will say, the lefty on the FSI will actually make for a stiffer chassis Mm -hmm. at your weight than a traditional fork.
0: And that's another problem that you'll find with hardtails is that they come with 32 millimeter stanchion forks usually. Yep. And they also tend to be pretty flexy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to go into the high end to get one that has like a carbon steer. And that carbon steer will help. Uh, Yeah, Strengthen things up when it's just a one piece. If you have an RS one, then yes, that thing will be stiff up front. Yeah. But it's still not as stiff as the lefty. Yeah. The The lefty lefty is, is the stiffest one. Absolutely. So that's another vote, I guess. Another drop in the bucket for the FSI. So Clydesdales, do not fear carbon, embrace it.
1: And do not fear lefties. They're amazing.
0: Yes. Even though it suffered a terrible fate where it lost half of its NIS. It's existence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Half of it's NIS. Half of it's NIS. Okay. Uh, Andrew Shredden. That's a great last name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just finished listening to the first time or for the first time. Y'all's podcast is awesome. Thank you, Andrew.
1: Danish last name, by the way.
0: Ah, yes. Danish. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I love Danish. Famous last name. Yes. He says so much good content. My question is about the current crop of rim widths and tires. Even though you see bike companies speccing the 21 to 25 millimeter rim width wheel sets with tires between 2.1 and 2.3 inches wide. Most of the new aftermarket wheel sets you can buy start at 28 millimeters and go all the way up to the high thirties or low forties. Once you start getting into the plus tire sizes of 2.8 to 3.2 inches. It's so confusing. Yeah, Uh, yeah. it really is. It really is. He says, so now to my actual question if I'm wanting to run tire widths between 2.4 and 2.6, what is the optimal internal and external width for the wheels? Ignore external width, by the way.
1: Yeah. It doesn't matter. External width doesn't matter at all.
0: Yep. Unless it's like uh, external width. It's like plus, you know, 15 millimeters from the yeah. internal width. Yeah. Then you're yeah. going to have some, <laughs> some weirdness. That'd be awkward. That doesn't exist. Can I even clear the, the rim on this bike? <laughs> 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 Don't mind the tire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so he says, uh, uh, bonus question. What tire width do you guys feel is best for all around riding 2.4, 2.5 or 2.6? He says a ride around the triangle area of North Carolina with a few trips a year to Pisgah Brevard DuPont. Also, I'm not at all conservative with line choice. If that helps answer the question. <laughs> Good.
1: Good. So EXO is your friend <laughs> yes. or double down basically. or double down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, for your, I think your your proper width is going to be right around 2.4 for just good all-around riding. 2.4 for a front. You can go narrower in the rear, you know, a mm-hmm. 2.3, 2.35, whatever. Yeah. Um, even down to a 225 if you had to.
0: If you're doing XC stuff?
1: Yeah, if you're doing XC stuff, 225 is fine. Yeah. So in your XC stuff, 25-millimeter internal rim width is about what you should be at. 23 to
0: 25 envy just released their new they announced them a while back but they are now available on their site
1: the new 525s
0: yep uh spoke with Jake Pantone and 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 actually got to meet the CEO of, of Envy uh, oh, Sarah which is yeah, awesome Sarah's, yeah female driven company that is so rare mm-hmm. in the in the cycling world yeah um but she does a fantastic job with that I mean the brand obviously as everybody knows is awesome everything else anyways yeah I I, uh, I digress They now are out and their, their wheel is a 25 millimeter internal
1: width. Um, And then as far as your, you know, trail and enduro, where you're using a two, four to two, six, Mm -hmm. your proper width should be more than a 26. Yeah. Up to about 30. Yeah. 28 to 30 is your, is your sweet spot.
0: Yep. And, and touching back on, on Envy, just touch uh, because they have a really clearly laid out. That even declares the rim width in the name now of the yeah. product, which I like. Yep. And we're talking internal rim width, but they have the five twenty five for XC. Yep. Then they have a six thirty. Mm-hmm. That's for uh, the more gnarlier stuff, obviously. Uh, for or just for trail, trail even. Yeah. And then they have a six thirty five,
1: which is getting closer, like the plus bikes.
0: Yep. And then I think that they have they have a six forty. Yep. And then they go seven thirty five or seven thirty. Maybe seven thirty. Seven thirty five and then seven forty. And uh, then they have their ninety thirties, so the downhill ones. Yeah.
1: um, So the internal width, you can get the trail series in the Mm 6, the 630. You can get the enduro series in the 730. Yep. And then you can get the 930 in the downhill series. Yep. Those are all 30-millimeter internal rim width. It just boils down to how light or how indestructible do you want it?
0: Which is pretty crazy. It looks, so I know from the 525s up to the 630, 630. Mm Mm-hmm. It's only a jump of 140 grams total. That's it. Yeah. And you're going from a 24 hole to a 28 hole wheel set. Yeah. They now come in 28s only the, okay. the higher ones. Okay. No 32s
1: anymore. Nope. Yep. Which is so, awesome. That's what I yeah, did last year. I started doing that.
0: I shouldn't say higher ones. I bet that there are 32s like in the sevens or okay, in the nine. But nines. in the six series. But in the six series. Only 28. Okay. So interesting stuff yeah. um, to see. Um, but anyways, th- their product line is representative of, of more stuff. So I would say if for most trail riding yeah, 28, it would be ideal, uh, yeah. up to 30. That's fine too. Yeah. And run um, a two, four,
1: maybe yep. a two, five, like two on five. my Jekyll, I run a two, five wide trail front mm-hmm. minion DHF max grip. And then I run a two, four wide trail DHR two.
0: Okay. And then you're running uh, what internal width?
1: I'm running the WTBI 29, so 29 internal okay. width, and, and it's a perfect, perfect fit.
0: Is it 2.42 squared off in the back? No. Nope. No. Perfect. There I we go. Know,
1: usually I, when I'm riding, I'm looking forward, not back, but <laughs> when I have looked back on occasion, it looks
0: It's not right. like hard to lean over. It's so squared off. Yeah, and no, it's, it's fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, there's some rounding. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that should give you a good anecdotal example of that and, and what you guys, uh, what you would need. Next one is from Jody. My son would like to race on his school's mountain bike team. He's 11 years old, four foot, seven inches, 77 pounds. And we live in Southern New Hampshire with lots of rocks and roots. He currently has a 24 inch diamondback sinker. I think that's what that one's called. That's at least how it was typed, but it's quickly outgrowing it. Do you have any suggestions on wheel size, full suspension versus hardtail, and custom build versus off the shelf? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated.
1: First thing I would say is Jody, do not do a custom build bike because it's going to be more expensive. And at 11 years old, he's going to outgrow that very quickly. So stick to something off the shelf.
0: Yeah. I would say that in this case, if you live in a spot where you've got a lot of rocks and roots, um, I would still recommend a hardtail.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's going to reinforce a lot of good riding habits. Mm Mm-hmm. Where a full suspension when they're young like that could be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. The one thing I would say is if you're in that type of terrain, the best way to make it really hard for your son is to get him a big bike. Exactly. Get him something that's smaller that he can manage well. Exactly. So I'm thinking something like, um, uh, from the specialized line, something that comes to mind would be like, they have the hard rock, um, line that I think toward the end or toward the top end of it gets a little nicer or there's one i believe called the chisel and that's an aluminum hardtail that comes really well spec'd okay. and you could get that in like a size extra small okay um, that still will, might be a bit big for him and i think it would have 29 inch wheels which might not be great too for such a little one yeah it's there's tough.
1: under the cannondale brand depending on how small his uh, the diamondback is i think mm-hmm. that's a fairly small 24 inch mm mm-hmm. Cannondale in their race line Mm -hmm. of kids' bikes, they have their race 24 and they actually have a large frame version of that. And I believe that's for kids up to four foot nine. Okay. So that might be a good option. The cool thing about that bike is it's a CAD aluminum, CAD being the technology Mm -hmm. that Cannondale uses. Um, It comes with an air fork on it. It's fully disc brake compatible. Um, Friend of the podcast, Justin Thomas, his son, I built him a race 24 with all xt one by 11 and hydraulic disc it's a pretty <laughs> He's a special setup, kid yeah. Yeah. um but that setup was actually um that's a really good setup for a kid of his size mm-hmm. in the larger frame version yeah they do have those go to talk to any cannondale dealer or i know that a lot of brands do have a ton of kids bikes uh commensals one of them mm-hmm. they have a lot of kids options norco, norco. yeah yep.
0: Yeah. I would look at, I would look at Cannondale first because it's probably going to be easiest to get and I don't know, back East, maybe you have Norco's as well yeah. at that level. Um, but I would say Cannondale, I would say Norco. Um, and then you can also look at track and specialize. They have some, some decent stuff too, but yeah the one thing I would look at is make sure that it's disparate compatible. Yes, that's so, the big
1: key. Is you need a disc brake frame. That's yeah, what you need. yeah,
0: that's that's what I would say. Yeah, and disregard my my recommendation of the chisel there. That would be bad. We don't want him on gigantic wagon wheels. So. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> he could he could like stand inside of that inside of one inside of those wheels. Of yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Eric, he says, "Hey guys, love the show. Just about all I've been listening to the past couple of weeks. Just trying to catch up. Nice, good to hear, man. Thanks for listening." He says, my question is now that the mountain bike season will be coming to a close in the next couple months, I want to get a road bike and continue my riding and training when the trails are just too, uh, are just too unrideable. Yes. You've sold me on the trainer road system and I'm ready to drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink Kool-Aid man. That would only make you slower. That's sugar. (laughs) <laughs> well, what if you don't put sugar in your Kool-Aid? That is just gross, though, actually. so <laughs> Well, I mean, Kool-Aid is sugar. That's all it is. Well, no, I know.
1: Yeah, but yeah. the unflavored, the stuff that you have to add sugar to. <laughs> oh, god. Yeah, it's terrible yeah. stuff.
0: I think that's just like food dye. <laughs> Pretty much. I think that's it. Yeah. 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 Um, well, hopefully that's, uh, yeah. No need to drink the Kool Aid, man. It just makes you faster. It's all science based stuff. So, uh, he says, "What would be a good affordable road bike for someone on a budget, but doesn't want a Walmart build, so to speak? Any input will be awesome. Thanks."
1: There, there's nice aluminum road bikes with like Sora build mm-hmm. Shimano like,
0: Tiagra or Sora. Yeah,
1: yeah for like seven hundred and fifty to nine hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, it's really not that bad. You know, I, I, I don't know if the CAD. Well, there there's comes
1: the, in a lower... There's the Cad Optimo now
0: Okay, Canada, that's what they call is that.
1: The, is the old Cad 8, essentially.
0: Okay, gotcha. The cool part about that bike is that it has really good aluminum tech. Yeah. Like we just said with the previous question, uh, Cad bikes are really good yeah. with that. Now, the other thing
1: that I will recommend is if you want to be one of the cool kids and end up being a gravel guy, mm-hmm. get a gravel bike and use that for... Uh, for your training. And then also now guess what? You have a cyclocross and gravel bike as well.
0: It's an awesome, yeah, awesome option. Yeah. Um, one that I would recommend, uh, that also it has a very, it's a, it's a great frame on it is to go for, uh, the LA specialized. Allais. Yep. It looks yeah. like a uh, the standard one is a good bike, man. Um, I'm looking at it right now. They have a build that is 750 bucks and for 750 bucks. You're going to get a bike that's set up with, it looks like Tiagra or Sora on there. Um, not bad. And that's, so it's basically the ergonomics of the levers. It's going to shift really similar to Shimano 105. Yeah. Uh, it's going to do a really good job of that. Sure. You've got heavier wheels and everything else, but you can upgrade that stuff. And that frame is actually still really darn good. It's a good frame. Uh, so I would look at the Alley, uh, from them. Trek does have, I think, the Amanda and like a, an aluminum version, I think. Uh, so that would be like their their lower end bike that you could get there. Yeah. But under a thousand bucks, you can totally get There's one. There's tons of options for under a thousand bucks. And I honestly think that it's, unless you can find a used... So usually if you find a used carbon road bike for under a thousand bucks, it's old, got a ton of wear and tear on it, and yeah. the components are really dated. Yeah. If you get you know, take that thousand and put it into a bike like this, I think you're actually going to have a better experience.
1: Yeah. And the other thing you got to think of is if you're buying a three or four year old carbon bike that has say Shimano nine speed or 10 speed drivetrain on it, you are coming up against parts that are going to start being scarce to find. Yeah. And then you're talking upgrading that drivetrain as well. So I would stick to a, you know, good basic aluminum build under a thousand dollars and then upgrade it as you need.
0: I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's the best way to do it. Eric James says afternoon guys got a question and also a response to your dislike to the reverbs, hydraulic setup, and you requesting it goes to a cable system like some other, some of the other brands. That would be Jonathan that said that, not me. Yeah. 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 Do you not agree? No, I don't. I don't. Are we at a point of disagreement, Steve? No, we are not <laughs> at a point of disagreement. I see both sides of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think that this is probably why right yeah. here. He says, here in the UK, it's hands down the best dropper for dealing with the rain and mud that we get. You can bleed the system once or twice a year and you're good. But the cable ones, even with all the internal cable routing, still get messed up with the mud uh, dead quick and are a real headache. Yeah. My problem is not... It has nothing
1: to do with the the cable actuation Mm. being, um, you know, getting gummed up with debris. My issue is that in the middle of a race, if you happen to snag that reverb hose on something or crash or whatever, and you rip that out, it's very fragile. And it will be not necessarily a race ender, but it'll take you out of contention for anything. It happened to me at Downeyville.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's not good. So that's what I don't like about the reverbs. I love the reverb, how smooth it is. I love the actuation. Um, Once they went to the new B1 design, I didn't
0: have any issues with mine, but you did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And and issues have reared their ugly head once again on my new one. Well, not too bad, but I'm definitely dropping the reverb no more.
1: Yeah. Which is why I love the Fox transfer because I've never had to service one ever did you, you any the, customers? did
0: you catch that dad joke I just did? Wait, what was the dad joke? I missed it. I dropped the reverb. Ah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh I'm going to <laughs> let me sigh. Hold on. I <sighs> am going to uh I'm gonna be very, very fancy here and I'm going to go to the KS Carbon once. Mm. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> he has a smirk on his yeah. face yeah no what i will say
1: is um nate your boss trainer Road, his new epic came with the lev Integra carbon yeah with a ridiculously light seat yeah and his when i pulled it out of the box the seat was already attached to the seat post yeah and even with the little baggie of hardware that setup was lighter yeah. than my fox transfer 150 yeah. i was like holy cow this thing is light Yep. So I'm switching over. We'll see um, how we'll see how long it lasts, though. Yes, because it is a KS product. We don't know question. if it'll.
0: At Live. least, at least you can now adjust the air pressure yourself
1: on twenty yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really nice of them to finally make that happen. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, oh so, wait, my air is low. I have to ship it back to you. Yeah, cool. That was a pain. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to switch over there. XTR or going from levels over to XTRs and yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah, you're doing it all. Yeah. 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 Must be fancy. So, uh, he says onto my question over the last couple of years, I've been enjoying my enduro racing more and more. Uh, he even, uh, throughout his vlog there, uh, he says they're enduro bro race vlogs. <laughs> he says, so last and his name is, his name is James Gill. So you can look him up on YouTube. He says, so last winter, I got a turbo trainer and roadie, uh, to do some structured training sessions on the roadie and turbo setup. I've been using clipless pedals, but on my mountain bike, I ride flats. Should I actually be using flat pedals on the turbo as well? What do you think? I don't know. And turbo, so, sorry, one one thing yeah. really quick. Turbo equals trainer in the UK. Same word, just okay. the same meaning. Yeah.
1: So we, what I think of is if you can work on pedaling efficiency on the trainer and developing calf muscles to help you sweep and pull, it'll make riding flats more efficient totally in the field. Is that really what you're thinking too?
0: I mean, yeah. So it, there's there's there are pros and cons to each. I totally understand wanting to ride flats on the descent, by the way, I, I get that I want to be, I, I want to make it clear that I'm not this guy. That's like wearing Lycra all the time and dancing around in ballet slippers, because I think it's the only way, um, that th- I think that flats absolutely have their place that said, you will not be as efficient pedaling with flats you ever. Can, ever, no, you can get like, you can get killer five tens with some really good pedals that just latch onto there mm-hmm. and it's awesome, but you're still not going to be as efficient. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it's, if you find that you are getting on your flats and then when you are pedaling, you are falling off, mm-hmm. you are losing, you know, you're, you're gumming on or your, your shoe is falling off the pedal when you're pedaling, then yeah, then you can see that you've developed a pedaling or a pedal stroke with clipless pedals that isn't great for flats. Yeah. Uh, but the pedal stroke on flats period is not great because you end up, um, you know, I guess... It's not going to be as efficient, once Never. again, as
1: You really, you can't. It, it, an efficient pedal stroke is not being able to generate power during your sweep and your pull mm-hmm. of the foot that, like, as your pedal gets down to six o'clock mm-hmm. and as you sweep backwards and up, that whole section, you're not trying to generate power. You're trying to get that foot to that whole leg to lift itself back up so that you're not using energy from the other side pushing down to get that leg to go up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so so essentially you could be almost as efficient, but mm -hmm. still there is a tangible difference between the two.
0: Yeah, there will be. I don't, uh, the only time I would see this being a problem is if you find your feet coming Mm -hmm. unglued, so to speak, when you're on your flats. Yeah.
1: Which is, yeah. But I, I still think training with Clipless is, it's just going to help you develop a a more efficient stroke.
0: I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Stefan, he says, I'm looking for a power meter recommendation for my new mountain bike. I've got a 2018 Rocky Mountain Element C70 on order, which is expected to be delivered sometime between November and February. My A race next year, which is a bucket lister for me is the BC bike race. Ooh, good times. I live in Vancouver and ride the North shore and Squamish a lot. So I need something that can handle the terrain abuse and often wet conditions we have out here. What would you guys recommend? We need to know what cranks that bike has. Uh, well, the thing is, yeah, yeah. So Steven's on that. The, the the thing is main things that are going to govern your power meter decisions. First of all, you ride a mountain bike, so you're limited on choice. You're basically limited to, uh, stages, which is the easiest one. Usually Mm -hmm. Uh, from the stages, you can also look at, there's a company called four eyes, but, um, uh, I don't know if I would consider that I would, I would, I would shy away and I'll just leave it at that. Um, power to max makes a spider based one. Mm-hmm. Quark makes a spider based one. And then there are other odd companies like SRM, for example, also makes a spider based one with SRM and Quark and power to max. You're going to guarantee yourself and stages, all of them, you're going to guarantee yourself good power readings. You don't have to worry about that. Those are all well-known brands and they're going to do a good job. Uh, people that talk about left right power and that being a necessity, I think that's uh, blown up. That's uh, not necessarily needed. Most people, if they say, well, what, if, you know, what if I have an imbalance, what do I need to work on that? You're not going to, are you going to press harder on one leg as a result? Like that's not a good way to make yourself more efficient on the bike. Yeah. So everybody's going to have a natural imbalance to some degree. And totally. sure you might be able to train that perhaps with some type of mobility training and work in the gym to a certain extent, but it probably in the end, isn't going to make you a more efficient peddler. That's just how your body's built. As long as it's not like a plus or minus 5% or more that you're having on an imbalance. So as a result, I think a stages is great weather sealing. I haven't had a problem with my stages, weather sealing, uh, at all, Mm -hmm. uh, on my cross bike, I've ridden that thing in, I thought about it the other day. I've ridden that bike in rain, more than dry. Yeah. Because of all the, because I use it as like my rain bike. If it's like a road ride, I just bring that out because then I have disc brakes and I have all that awesomeness it's yeah. much better.
1: Did you use that bike when you went on your Everesting ride? Uh, no, no, oh.
0: no, uh, I did. Should I tell you about that? <laughs> no.
1: no, I did please. use
0: it going up Mount Akea last You did. Week, yes. Though. Yeah. And,
1: uh. With a 26 tooth 26 It was so freaking cute.
0: <laughs> it's a tiny little guy. It's like a bottle cap. It
1: really was a bottle cap on a, like on a crank arm. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Super tiny. It's like, you know, e-bikes, how they have like that little 18 tooth. That's kind
0: of what it looked like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I think at that point we quit calling it a chain ring and we call it like a cog at that point. Yeah, we should call it a cog. Yeah. Yeah. BMX bikes use that in the rear. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, anyways, I. The Stages is awesome. I can't recommend it enough. It's cheap. Stages is a company. Mm -hmm. They are an awesome company. Yeah. They're like, they're riders first and they put in a lot of time and focus on making sure that they test their stuff with riding instead of just, you know, in laboratories. They do both, of course. Quark is another awesome company as well. But once you get past the fact that you're limited on choice on mountain bikes to those brands, then it gets into crank set standards or cranksets, what you have mm-hmm. and clearance. Yep. Those are the two, the two main things. So, uh, the Rocky mountain, the attitude
1: carbon 70 in their, their show C70. Or, sorry. Oh, the element C 70. Okay. Yes. So totally fine. Yeah. So. With the C70 Shimano build, yeah. it comes with race face turbine cranks. So you can literally just buy race faces, um, oh. cinch 30 power meter, yep. which is the spindle. Yep. Done. Problem solved. Yeah. Um, okay. on their, the, uh, the SRAM build that's going to come with X01 Eagle. You're now talking Eagle specific SRAM carbon descending cranks.
0: Yeah. And in this case, what you've got, uh, there is you could replace, Either one of the crank arms with the stages, with the stages carbon arm,
1: but it's going to be an XO, which is fine. Yeah, which is fine. It's just it'll match.
0: It just won't match. Yeah, Um, but that's okay. Yeah, Uh, you're letting the world know you have a power meter, so you're putting yourself above everyone. Uh, Exactly. I'm just joking. You're better than that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or you can get a Quark power meter. They Mm -hmm. make a Quark Eagle power meter, and that thing is pretty. And I will say the thing about the Quark is that I do get less errant moments of data with a Quark on my road bike than i do with any other power meter okay they're really good okay and Quark as a company is also another really solid good company that understand riders um the race face one i forgot to mention that that one is actually made by a company called uh zwat the team zwat i believe is what they're called
1: z-w-a-t-t
0: yes And they make a good power meter and mm-hmm. they basically white label power meters for a few brands. Yeah. And this is one of them with race face one. Yeah. Uh, it's a good power meter and it's something that you can trust. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're, spoiled, spoiled for choice there a bit. I would say that I would stick to a stages or a Quark If I were you, mm-hmm. if that's, you know, if that's what's going to work, if you have those stages or those race face cranks, though, that can work too. Totally. All right. Uh, last one is from B Gizzle. Interesting name. He says, Great podcast, five stars on iTunes. So I just joined the Yeti tribe. Welcome to the tribe. Uh, as a fellow tribesman, I can say that. Steven's over here just looking out like he's out in the cold. Yeah. It's okay, though. <laughs> what? Are I you looking for a I rebuttal? You're... No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no I not good. Thought... I thought you were going to say something else. No. All right. No. Moving on. Waiting for his question. I come from. <laughs> I, he's, he's bitter about being outside of the tribe. No, not at all. It's okay. Door's it's... always welcome. It's an inclusive tribe. Yeah, that's fine. I just can't go to the tribe gathering. It's okay. You can you just have to get a bike. That's all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. He says, I, came, I come from a road cycling triathlete background. What are the rules on wearing Yeti specific gear? Hmm. I know you guys are very particular about colors on bikes. So I figured you had an opinion on this. I don't want to be. And he says in quotes, that guy.
1: Well, don't wear a Trek kit. That's probably rule number one. <laughs> Nothing with the Specialized logo on
0: it. Yeah. So you're talking about matching. What What are you getting at here? What's I'm, the principle? Well,
1: I'm getting at cross-branding as far as, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm in my Specialized kit on my Yeti ASR mm-hmm. yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever bike sense. you have.
0: Yeah. Uh, you wear your Cannondale stuff now that you ride Cannondale. Yeah, I write. This makes I, sense. I, I, wear, I wear some
1: Cannondale stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually have... Um, some of the older Cannondale gear from, you know, when CFR was around, Cannondale Factory Racing. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of my Ride Biker Alliance stuff from the regional team that I raced on yeah. in Enduro. Um, but I also have a lot of Mavic gear. I also yeah. have a lot of the the new um, Sombrio gear, which is one of Cannondale's lines under the Segoy brand. Yep. And, you know, they've got some really cool trail gear that I like. Um, I don't really follow, I just won't wear any of my Yeti gear while riding my Cannondale. That's just, that seems awkward to me.
0: Agreed. Now I think that, uh, yeah, it's totally okay to wear specialized gear on a specialized mm-hmm. Trek gear on a Trek. Does Trek even make mount? I don't even know. No, no. I think they just make Lycra. I don't know. Uh, but, or Yeti stuff on a Yeti. Totally cool. Yeah. Uh, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah. I think that 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 looks fine. And it it doesn't look pretentious like you're trying to be like a pro factory racer. At least I don't see it that way. I think it's just fine. Um, Especially because I'm thinking like for now, or just off the top of my head, the specialized stuff and the Yeti stuff, it's really high quality gear. Of course. It's not like they're just white labeling some cheap gear. Like they put a lot of work into that. Like my Yeti stuff that I have there for for just like trail riding, the baggy stuff I have so nice yes it's, it's really good stuff really good stuff yeah so yeah I, there's nothing wrong with that i will say though one thing that grinds my gears a bit Stephen. all right peter uh <laughs> is when
1: family guy reference if you didn't get that I, one no
0: i didn't yeah I've not, oh. i don't want, okay yeah, i haven't uh, never mind okay Carry on. yeah so i would say <clears throat> that if you are wearing mavic shoes okay i do like seeing a mavic helmet Okay. With that. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure. Like specialized shoes. I also like seeing a specialized helmet. And I break this rule, by the way.
1: I always break this rule too.
0: Because I use specialized shoes and then I use uh, a POC helmet. Mm-hmm. But I use specialized shoes because my feet are terribly fussy like the rest of me. You and use women's I specialized use... shoes. <laughs> Let's be clear. They're shaped the same as men's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure, but whatever. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no. Uh, just because I wanted the white color, but, um, the you know it's it's something that uh, it's obviously doesn't matter, but I think that it just looks proper.
1: Yeah. No. If you I can I, I, if you can. Yeah. Especially
0: with Mavic because they have the
1: signature yellow stuff. Exactly, and I have uh, all of my Mavic shoes are ridiculous yellow and black, but I don't match.
0: Yeah, my helmet, not needed. Um, though. Also, another thing, uh, matching helmets and glasses. Uh, really, Oakley now makes their own helmet for mm. road. Okay, so I get that. That yeah. looks good. You can wear Oakleys with pretty much anything. Uh, that's yeah, just fine, I guess. But it does look weird when I see people wearing like, um, uh, a, for example, they'll be wearing uh Smith glasses. But, and then they won't be wearing, and then they'll be wearing something like, I don't know, like a POC helmet with their Smith glasses.
1: Or Troy Lee helmet or something. Yeah. Well, right. Troy
0: Lee doesn't make glasses, you know? So, oh, but you know, mixing and matching glasses and helmet brands that make both.
1: Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Okay. I do.
0: Are we getting into just pretense? This
1: I think we're I mean, getting <laughs> a little bit pretentious. <laughs> okay. Let's get out of this. Cause then. we just started talking about Oakley's and I just went off to thinking like gas cans and diesel bros. And, yeah. You yeah. Know. Roll coal, brother. Yeah.
0: Anyways, wear whatever you want. And if you want to wear Yeti gear when you're riding a Yeti, that's cool. If you want to wear specialized gear, riding a specialized, that's cool. If you want to not do that, that is also cool. Yeah. Another technical question for you all on a recent podcast, you mentioned that the head tube blanks on many bikes were too big and that moving to the spacers up and down can help. I'm currently on the 2018 SB five. How do you know when you can start moving the stem down and adding spacers on top? Is it only a comfort thing or a specific handling of the bike thing? Keep up the great work.
1: I'm going to let you handle this one. Mm, okay. Cause you're good with the technical things.
0: Yeah. I, you know, and you're not, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so I, I do like a low stack height. Yeah. This is true. Yep. Uh, I have a, my, the head tube on my ASR on my Yeti ASR is like, uh, it's like a stack of quarters. Yeah. <laughs> it's super short. Yeah. So, um, anyways, it, it is a handling thing first and foremost. Of course. That's how I view it. And, uh, sure that that can come with the cost of comfort or efficiency. So you have to balance that but basically bikes and the SP5 has a tall head tube. It, yeah, and, it does. And uh so what you'll want to do in most cases with that, in almost every case is you're going to want to run the lowest amount of stack possible. That usually is going to mean no spacers underneath the stem. Mm-hmm. Uh that might even mean going to something like the new uh slam that stem or slam that stem or the new Cane Creek slammed uh top cap. Yeah. I shouldn't say top cap, but bearing cover yeah. on the top. To allow you to get even more drop, and the reason for that is you're basically just trying to lower that uh, anchor point at which you then uh,
1: it pushes your weight forward on the bike for climbing.
0: It's just going to put more weight on that front wheel when you're turning as well. Yep. Uh, and and it basically also it lowers you on your bike. Yep. Uh, and and that's always better a lower center of gravity within reason. So, yeah. So that's why you would want to do that and move it down. The best thing to do is experiment with it. But when I say experiment with it, drop one spacer out and then ride with that. And I don't mean just ride around, but ride with that for a day, for a weekend, for a week.
1: Yeah. You need to actually understand what you're doing and feel the differences.
0: It will change how that bike fits. Yes. Um, You may need to change uh, your saddle position slightly if it gets like if it's a severe change, but probably not.
1: But if you're doing one five mil spacer at a time making the adjustments, you should feel incremental change. And then you'll get to a point where like, oh, I need to tilt the saddle forward a little bit or I need to scoot it
0: forward a little bit. Yeah. Let's say scoot forward. We were very strict on our tilts. Well, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Uh, The other thing to to add to this is if you do the opposite of what Steven just said and you just went from... You know, instead of going five mil at a time, you went from stacked way up all the way down. There's a good chance that you could be feeling out of sorts and get tossed over the bars or something like that. You Mm -hmm. know, if it's a huge difference, if we're talking like inches, Um, but hopefully it's not that big. Yeah. Usually I don't
1: think, you know, the thing is Yeti only includes 25 millimeters of spacers with all of their bikes anyway. Yeah. So unless your local bike shop decided to stack 50 millimeters of them, you've, you know, you're going to have about an inch to play with at most, no matter what. There we go. And you will notice a big difference.
0: Yeah, you will. Uh, Steven, that's the questions that we could cover this week. Uh, We've got some business to take care of. we got business.
1: It's business time. It's
0: business. It's business time. Steven. We are going to get into, (laughs) you're looking at, you had a moment looking into your dog's eyes over there. Well, he looks very sad right (laughs) now. He does. He He doesn't have his own microphone. It's (laughs) it's true. Or thumbs. (laughs) He's he's been trying to steal ours. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about drivetrains. Yay. Get deep into these things. Uh, Yeah. We're going to cover all of the brands, cross compatibility, all the different strange things. We're also going to cover the hacks that you can do to your drivetrains as well. Yep. Uh, but first things first, let's cover the brands. Okay. Uh, there's one that makes fishing reels, Shimano. Okay. There's uh, one that is not a SRAM. I don't know what else to say about SRAM, really, but uh, they make terrible brakes yeah. <laughs> and really good drivetrains. <laughs> yes, a SRAM. Uh, there's another company called Box. We still don't know what they actually make yet. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. Yeah. I've, I've only shifted it on like a little weird motor thing at Interbike. I've never ridden with it, but um, pretty good. Yeah. And then there, are there any other brands that are really notable that we should be talking about here? I don't think so. After 1987? No. <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep yeah, it. No. Let's just keep it. Yeah. Um, keep it to that. Uh, so those are the main brands. Mm-hmm. Box is one that uh, we're not going to cover much from here on out. But just know that Box comes from the BMX world, but mm-hmm. they also make some some mountain bike components. They used to have a shifter that was just one shift lever, and you basically clicked it forward or you pushed it directly inward. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine the lever arm extends and you would just push it inward. Yeah. And that's how you could click shift, too. It was actually a pretty clever system. It's but awkward, d- though. A bit awkward, and I did hear that companies or people were having a lot of issues with that drivetrain. Yeah. So and I know that they just released a new versions, So maybe they fixed all those problems. Okay. But we're mainly going to keep it to Shimano and SRAM.
1: Because that's what 99% of all bikes will always come with. And that's what 99% of people are going to run.
0: So. Yep. So, and we're trying to, to share information that's useful, as exactly. useful as possible for the most people. Yeah. Uh, so let's get start at the front. Uh, well, not at the directly front. Well, actually let's do that. Shifters. Okay. Uh, first things first. Uh, let's start with Shimano. Okay. Uh Shimano's uh, ISpec is that what they call their mounting system for their shifting? Well, that's one that of their they, their they
1: they have clamp and then they have ISpec. Okay. Um there's a few different ISpec generations. Okay. Um, there's iSpec AB, which is the older setup, which is, I never liked it because the way that you mounted the shifter to the actual brake lever clamp used a very small bolt and you almost had to break it to get it tight enough to where the shifter wouldn't move.
0: Okay. And is that basically like a different clamping system onto the bars? That's all we're talking about here.
1: It's a different mount of the shifter pod to the brake lever.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: The clamp would be the same on the lever on gotcha. the brake lever. Makes sense. But the shifter, just how it mounted was a, a little bit different. Can you mix the specs? No, Aye. you cannot mix specs. Um, okay. No, you can, spec 2 and spec AB are mm-hmm. totally different from each other. So there's no cross compatibility between the two.
0: Gotcha. Uh SRAM's more or less the same.
1: Matchmaker support. has been the same for a long time. Yep. Yeah. yeah,
0: pretty straightforward. And
1: the funny thing is every SRAM brake lever and every SRAM, SRAM shifter will either go on their own separate clamps. If you need some sort of like adjustability beyond what the the um, I guess you would say independent adjustability between mm-hmm. the brake lever and the shifter, you can run them on their own clamps, or you can run them as matchmaker. So it's not like hey, you have to have a matchmaker specific lever, right? Or matchmaker specific shifter, like Shimano. Yep. With. SRAM, they're all cross-compatible across all of their stuff, which is really cool.
0: Well done, SRAM. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get into like indexing and, and pull ratios and all that stuff when we get to the derailleur. Of course. But let's cover the, the actual trigger systems that you have. Well, first of all, SRAM has grip shift. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, it's Bit a little- silly.
1: <laughs> but Grip people... shift works really good for um, adjusting your Cannondale hustle and flow setup.
0: There we are. And That's... also for uh, suspension lockouts. I've seen people using that as well. Yep. Uh um, um, but in also people do like it and especially yeah. over in Europe, it's, it's more popular than it is over here in the States. I personally can't stand it because I keep very loose hands on my bars. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, you then have to like, you know, you have to grip on the inside of your hand to twist something to shift. I don't like that. Yeah. My not, hands move around a lot. And not
1: a huge fan. And it also limits your, you know, your options in, uh, in like clamp on, Grips and mm-hmm. uh, there's, I don't like grip shift at all. Yeah, never have.
0: Um, they do. Shimano has something unique that SRAM doesn't have when you come to the actual shift paddles and okay. their orientation. Rapid fire. Yes. Yeah. Well, can you explain the rapidness? So the way that that Shimano works is to shift
1: into an easy gear, mm-hmm. the easier gear. You have your thumb shifter.
0: Yep, which is like the long swing. That's the, the than big the long press. swing.
1: To shift into a harder gear, you can reach your thumb under and behind that and push the the release mm-hmm. lever forward, mm-hmm. or you can reach your index finger down the front of the handlebars and click it backwards, mm-hmm. which is what I do. Yeah, I love that. I love rapid fire. Yeah, that's how I've always liked shifting. Is because when you're standing up pedaling, like in the middle of an enduro segment or you know a big fast climb, that's and nice you need to, to grab these. a gear, it's e- reaching under with your thumb to get underneath your easy gear shift to click into a harder gear is always a little bit harder. It's easier just to kick your index finger down and click it.
0: You you can also grab three shifts at a time. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so. On the XT stuff? XT and
1: XTR, there should be three easier or double into harder
0: gear. Like, yeah, you can press that That, that normally short click, you can press it through and it'll do more. It'll do two or three. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Shimano or SRAM does not have that. No.
1: So shifting into a harder gear is always singular on SRAM, but you can still click it fast, but you still have to do it. Click, click, click.
0: Yes. That's on SRAM stuff. If I'm shifting into an easier gear, uh, with two presses of the lever, I can get all the way through, um, one cassette an 11 speed cassette.
1: Yeah. The 11 speed was, was four gears. Maximum Eagle oh, is Eagle. now five. Yeah, it's five. Yeah. yeah. So, so so it's t- It's really to do the full range, you do have to end up doing um, three poles, but still.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how that works. So um, that's that kind of more or less cover shifters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what you're going to pay
1: for in all shifters is smoothness of actuation and how it feels. Mm-hmm. XT versus XTR functionally are going to be identical, whether it's 10 speed or 11 speed. The difference is how the lever feels and how light it is. Totally. That's
0: it. Yeah, that's it. And when you get to like, uh, honestly, like SRAM GX all the way up to SRAM XX1, all it feels is like a little bit more positive, but it functions the same. Yes. Except, now the material different. Yeah, but.
1: except for, I will say XX1 and XX1 Eagle. So they're 11 and their 12 speed mm-hmm. are always f- very different in how they feel, X01 to XX1. The lever itself and how it feels and the clicks that it makes, the positiveness, it's all different between the two. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I, I've always taken all of my 11 speed stuff and I run XX1 shifters, mm-hmm. even if I have an X01 drivetrain, yep. because of how that feels. its It just feels more robust, it feels more precision, it's just like you said, a more positive feel. Yep, yep, yeah. that's it. Yeah.
0: Chain rings, uh, working our way backward. Direct mount versus spiderless. Let's cover that. Uh, A lot of bikes- Well, direct
1: mount is spiderless.
0: Uh, Yeah, forgive me. Direct mount versus spidered, I should say. So a lot of chain rings, you'll see they'll have a spider that goes around the spindle of the crank Mm -hmm. and then the chain ring mounts to that. Yes. Or you'll see in some cases that it's just a direct mount, that the chain ring is all one piece and that it mounts to the spindle. Exactly. One isn't necessarily better than the others. I know it looks a lot lighter to have a direct mount, but in some cases it actually isn't. That is no, lighter.
1: Yeah. And th- the the one thing that direct mount has the option, uh, whereas like a 104 millimeter uh, diameter, what they call bolt center diameter. BCD. Um, you're limited to a 32 tooth. That's the smallest chain ring you mm-hmm. can get. You had a 26 tooth yes. narrow wide direct mount on your cross bike. Yeah. And that was a SRAM setup with a SRAM crank SRAM chain, chain ring. ring. So you can go smaller with direct mount, Yeah. but now you get into other things like wolf tooth with their drop stop. Um, They've got their little Mm -hmm. five bolt BCD or five bolt, little spider assembly that goes on to race face cinch. They make them in different versions Yeah. and you know, those go down to 26 or 28 tooth as well. So there are options for getting smaller, but
0: certainly are. If you want to go for a small chain ring, I would recommend doing that, going to something that doesn't have a spider. Now Shimano, do they do, they're all spider, aren't they?
1: Everything that they have a spider. Yes. The spider is actually built into the crank arm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you use SRAM, race face, that sort of a thing, then you can go spiderless. Exactly. And then look at direct mount. Um, Oval versus round. We've done this
1: over so many times. We
0: have. Uh, It's a thing that we're seeing now. SRAM now makes oval. Yes. Uh, we're going to see more OEMs probably make oval as things go on. Of course. Um, just as it being an option, once again, just recapping with oval, oval chain rings, uh, I don't, I personally don't buy into the physiological efficiency that it brings. However, I do buy into the mechanical efficiency that it brings yes. for mountain biking to improve traction, uh, de- or make a more steady or a steady torque delivery yes. to the rear wheel and reduce pedal Bob. Uh, with oval rings, usually, uh, it depends on the ovality of that ring. It depends on what it actually feels like. A lot of the time you'll see them say it's a 30 tooth and it will feel like a 34 at times, or it will feel like a 28 at times yeah. or th- sorry, 32 or a 28, depending on where it's at in the pedal stroke. Yes. Uh, narrow whites, the profiles, if you see narrow wide chain ring or mm-hmm. any other weird thing, that's basically a chain retention system.
1: Yes. So what they do is they run taller teeth. And on the, the SRAM patented version of a narrow wide, it is you know one wide tooth, one narrow tooth. And those are very specific in where they have to lie on the chain mm-hmm. itself.
0: Because if you think about it, the chain has a narrow
1: link yes, and then a wide, a wide link. link. And so 10 speed mm-hmm. narrow wide, which is technically obsolete now, yeah. 10 speed narrow wide is one thing, then 11 speed and 12 speed are the exact same dimensions. Inside the chain, mm-hmm. the openings that you have on 11-speed and 12-speed is identical. The difference is side plate thickness and all of that, that makes the 12-speed an overall narrower chain mm-hmm. on the outside, but the inside holes are identical.
0: Yep. So that's a good thing to, to note. There are companies that have different systems for retaining your chain like that. And of course, you can run a chain guide um, that will re- help a lot. Yeah. Uh, it'll eliminate all chain yes, issues. Yeah. But... Uh, th- The new SRAM one is fantastic. It has like a little bit of a curled back wave to each tooth to try to lock things in a little better. Uh, some brands do it by making the teeth alternate left to right, basically, Mm -hmm. um, to try to be a bit more of a snug fit there. Uh, There are a lot of different options. Uh, Shimano for a while just had tall teeth and that didn't work at all. He saw everybody running a chain guide because it was dropping all the time. Now they they
1: have narrow wide. Yeah, that was Shimano. They called it wide wide was what they called it before. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things that uh, there's also companies that make chain rings like Garbaruk. They're a Russian company. And they make everything from cinch mount to SRAM mount to BCD mounts to, you know, you name it. They've got them all. Mm -hmm. And their narrow wide is actually really cool because... Um, it takes the, the SRAM profile and actually runs them taller than everybody Mm -hmm. else. So you actually see the, the teeth of the chain ring sticking out past the, the inner plates of the, the, the actual chain. So their chain retention system is supposed to be really awesome. It's always good to
0: fall on too.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I messed up that fingernail. Uh, There we are. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) they don't care. They couldn't see it. You guys couldn't see it, could you? Let us know right in.
0: (laughs) Chains. Uh, Let's get into chains. Uh, You mentioned already 10 and 11 and 12 speed, Uh, 10 speed chain on 10 speed drivetrain. Yes. Um, And really stick with 11 on 11 and 12 on 12. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically.
1: But what's cool about it is you can run a Shimano 11 speed on a SRAM drivetrain and a SRAM 11-speed on a Shimano drivetrain yeah. if you had to. Yep. Um, there wh-
0: is cross-compatible. You can run a KMC chain on it, both of those as well. And you don't have to worry about it. The one thing that I have found
1: when we get to cassettes, we'll talk about the like the E13 cassettes. Mm-hmm. They shift better on SRAM and KMC chains than they do on Shimano
0: chains. Mm. That's good to know.
1: Which is weird because their website actually says we recommend Shimano and SRAM When reality is Shimano and K or SRAM and KMC
0: shift way better than Shimano on the E13 stuff. So, yeah. Now, you know. Yeah. Look at you guys. (laughs) Done been learned. Uh, Let's get into cassettes. Okay. Jump straight into it. Uh, 10-speed cassettes uh, that's more or less becoming obsolete now. Yes. Uh, but you're usually going to see all the way up to a 36 with that. Yes. You're going to see 36 and we'll get into drivetrain hacks later <clears throat> about yes. how you can change that.
1: Yes. And yeah, you're going to see 1132, 1134 and 1136 and 10 speed. And they are all the Shimano SRAM free hub style where they mount to the actual hub
0: of the bike. Exactly. So they're all the same. When you get into 11 speed, Free hubs get different with SRAM. Yes. SRAM, it requires the XD driver. Yes, it does.
1: Shimano, it does not. Shimano uses a 10-speed Shimano driver. Yeah. Because Shimano was a little ingenious in the fact that the way that they designed that 11th gear is it pushes further over the back, like towards the spokes when it's on the wheel. So the mounting pad is identical on the free hub body. And then they just pushed an 11th gear out behind that.
0: And the reason that SRAM did the XD driver, one of the main reasons was so that they could drop down to a 10 tooth cog.
1: Yes, because you don't have the, what they call the lock ring on there anymore.
0: And it's uh, too small of a diameter as well, I guess, uh, for what they're dealing with to just fit over a standard driver. Exactly. Or standard free hub. So that's what you need there. That's there's no cross. There are aftermarket brands that make different XD drivers. DT Swiss makes one. Uh, Hope makes one. You know, you can see it from different wheels. Yeah, uh, lots, uh, pretty
1: much all wheels now have XD drive. Even like Mavic on their road stuff. You can get road Excellent. wheels with XD drive.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So that's that when
1: you know when they end up doing. Um, a more road specific one by drivetrain but a lot of people on road cyclocross and gravel are you know like me yeah I'm already set up on one by 11 yeah with an XD driver
0: it's a pretty sweet way to go yeah Uh, with the cassettes uh, SRAM ones it's easy now everything it's all one piece basically or I should say it comes as one piece yeah and then it's basically got like a sleeve inside that's threaded and that turns and that's what threads it on to that XD driver yes with other cassettes you have to make sure that you have the cassettes and spacers in order. Um, Don't put your cassette, don't put your cogs on backwards. That will make for not great shifting.
1: And always remember that when you, when you uh, throw your cassette cogs on the writing On the cassette, like the, the cogs that's, you know, like this is your 17 tooth where it says that that's always towards the outside of the bike. It's not the inside that's so you can read it from the outside. That's how that cassette cog goes on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: you can't run now. We're going to touch back into the shifters here really quick, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're going to be talking about cassettes now you can't run obviously. Well, I guess technically you probably could, but you do not want to mix an 11-speed cassette, for example, with a 10-speed shifter?
1: Well, you can't. Yeah. The cable pole is, the pole of the derailleur is different between the two. The spacing between the actual cassette Mm -hmm. cogs is different. So you can't get it to shift perfectly all the way up putting a 10-speed shifter with an 11-speed. You have to make sure that everything is all compatible across.
0: that seems logical, but people, we have gotten this question before. Yes. So uh, we should address that. And
1: you also can't run a Shimano shifter with a SRAM derailleur. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that they're all the same in the same pole. Yes. We'll get into that further in a minute.
0: Yes, we will. Uh, E13 makes a cassette as an
1: alternative. They have the the TRS Plus, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit less expensive, but that goes from 9 teeth to 44 teeth. Mm -hmm. And then they just released their 9 to 46. So that actually gives you Eagle type range mm-hmm. in an 11 speed
0: that's pretty sweet
1: and it's compatible with all you know on, on one buys and two buys you can typically get away with a mid cage derailleur from shimano mm-hmm. in the rear mm-hmm. to run that wide range sram with the XO one you have to have um x01 is obviously one thing but if you're gonna do gravel the force one you have to have the long cage derailleur to use that
0: it's true um <laughs> pro tip if you're looking at XX1 versus XO1 in terms of cassettes in almost every case the XO1 cassette will be a couple grams lighter than the XX1 okay which is counterintuitive. in the 11 speed in the 11 speed yes. and even on Eagle actually. Oh okay. So it seems counterintuitive and SRAM may even show the opposite. But uh, having weighed mine every time I get them and then having had other people weigh theirs, the same thing. Yeah. It's usually a few grams lighter. So we're not talking any appreciable difference. But what I'm getting at is if you're thinking, well, the XX1 is lighter, so I could, you know, it might be worth the cost. If that's your, if that's your motive, don't do it. Yeah. Um, so that there's some info there.
1: The difference is that the 11 speed XO1. The black coating that they put on it was kind of crappy and started, it starts coming off almost immediately. So your cassette starts looking cheap and worn really Which quickly. Whereas they, the X, X one mm-hmm. in that like titanium gray finish was really, they stayed nice for a long time.
0: And they've actually discontinued the old XO one cassette now. Okay. Uh, and there's a new one. And I assume that's the reason I didn't know that, but now that totally makes sense. Okay. So, uh, now let's get into the hacks that you can do to make a 10 speed have wider range, or even an 11 speed have wider range. Uh, their wolf tooth makes cogs and mm-hmm. one up makes cogs. And I'm sure there are other brands, but those are the two there's, primary. Yeah.
1: Ones. And there's in, like I said, before Garbrook, they make the yep. wide range stuff too. Yep. Um, they, there's a bunch of companies that do it. Yep. So what you essentially do on those, you have to have, um, one of the multi-piece cassettes where you can take individual cogs and individual spacers out. Correct. So it's in the in the 10 speed line Shimano XT and Shimano XTR are the only two that have that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the SRAMs do. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you essentially take in the in the cog itself you or in the cassette you rip everything apart and you take well, like on Shimano you take your 17 tooth, mm-hmm. the next spacer down and the 15 tooth. You take all three of those pieces and remove them. Yep. And then you remove another spacer. Between the 17 and the next one up or the 15 and the next one down. Yep. And so you remove one of those and then you just put, actually, you don't remove one of those. You leave all those there. You just take the, I'm sorry, you take the 17 and the 15 and the spacer between and you remove all three of those pieces and you just slide a 16 tooth into the middle. Yep. Then on the back side next to the 36, you install either a 40 or 42 tooth. Yep. That's what you do. And then now you magically have 400-ish percent drivetrain range out of a 10-speed.
0: Yep, that's how they work. They also allow you... Um, they're now they're different. You can get anything from small sizes all the way up to bigger ones. You can even do this to a, an 11 speed x one cassette or an XX one cassette. Yes. It's kind of tricky though. Cause you have to, that thing is pinned on there and you have to remove so, the
1: pins and then you have to put a yeah, bigger cog a, in place of the 42
0: kind of rough. Yeah. But, um, anyways, that's, that's an option. They're all about 90 bucks. Those cogs. Yeah. And then when you do that, let's get into derailleurs. You also have to get a new derailleur, the, the lower cage. Yeah, so you either run a lower cage or you
1: run Wolftooth makes. Wolftooth and Linarets made um, the goat link assembly. Mm-hmm. The problem is the goat link only works on certain Shimano derailleurs. Correct. You know, it they'll say, "Hey, it works on the XTR 985 or 986 rear derailleur." but only the ones that have this much spacing between the factory Shimano link extension. So it's, it gets very specific on whether yours will work or not, which mm. is kind of a pain, but it's also still a cheaper route than an entire 11-speed or 12-speed wide range drivetrain.
0: Exactly. Uh, so Wolf Tooth Wolf Tooth makes the goat link, yes. which is going to give you lots of range. The road link gives you slightly less range and it's used to work with road derailleurs. Yeah. I've seen it work on uh, Dura-Ace Di2 before, actually. Yeah.
1: And then you can run an 1132 yeah. on a Dura-Ace short cage derailleur.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wolf Tooth makes their wolf cage as well. And that wolf cage, I believe, gives you even more range when you're talking about dealing with like a... Plus forty six, like getting into like really big stuff. Yeah, because what you're doing
1: at that point is they're doing what SRAM did on their their road cyclocross gravel Mm -hmm. um, derailleurs is they're not making the cage longer in length from the top pulley down to the bottom pulley. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is they're pushing that upper pulley back so that as that swings around, that pulley is moving further and opening up wider for a bigger.
0: You have more clearance. more gear for more clearance. That's yeah. what they're doing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, so one, uh, one up makes the shark cage, which is for the big range. And then they also make the rad cage and ratter cage for the, for the 10 and 11 speed, smaller stuff. So, yep. uh, that's how that works. Now, uh, with derailers, like you said, you have to match, you have to make sure that that derailer, the pull ratio matches, uh, from derailer to shifter. Yes. Or else you're going to have yourself a bad time. Yeah. Things will not shift. Yeah. Uh, the let's explain clutches really quick. Okay. I, I really, I want, I don't know why clutch derailleurs do not exist on every derailleur, even on the roadside. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. It totally should. And they should just be able to design one that's light. Come on, people. Yeah, uh, Let's make it happen. Uh, so clutches, how do they work? So it, it depends. Shimano and SRAM have two fundamentally different versions of
1: how clutches work. Mm-hmm. So. Shimano has their little lever where you turn the clutch on and off. Yep. So what you're doing is you're clamping metal to a friction surface. in a, It's a little cylinder inside that that link. Yep. And what it does is it clamps down on it and it makes it hard for the cage to move back and forth all the time. Yep. So you can turn the clutch off and you can shift mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, this is nice and buttery smooth. Shift the clutch on and it actually gets harder. yes. So where where SRAM did different is their Type Two, Type Two Point One, and Type two, Three. Yeah, Type Three now is yeah. the new one. They're a roller clutch setup. So you can just push back and forth nice and lightly and it feels like there's no clutch involved at all. It's awesome. (laughs) But the thing is, if you hit it fast, that rotational force flares out roller bearings into a clutch assembly so that in those moments where you're hitting something hard or you're having a lot of suspension input and the derailleur cage is moving really fast, then the clutch is actuated
0: and it's all based on rotational motion. The early versions of SRAM's clutch wasn't that great. No, it wasn't. The n- the new ones, incredible. Yeah, Type 2.1 and good. Type 3 are friggin amazing. And the Shimano mm. one, I've had problems with it wearing out over time. Yeah, And you have to go in and tighten it, which they don't recommend. Yeah. I've done that and it just made my bike extremely hard to shift. Exactly. And that's the thing is the, the XTR is made to be adjustable. Yeah. The XT
1: is not. Yes. So, so
0: it can be a pain to, to deal with there, but clutches are awesome and that helps with chain retention, Yeah, but it also helps with shifting. Under when you're like riding through anything rough, Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry as much about grinding or dropping gears in the back. Uh, It really should just be how derailers work, period. Yeah, It's just a much better way to do it. I mean, since we're
1: using this archaic, you know, technology anyway to shift our bikes, we should at least try to make it as good as possible.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Does that more or less cover the drivetrain side of things, Steven? I mean, we could get into, I I do want to just finish off with gearboxes, Mm -hmm. but we'll just lightly cover that. Yeah. Uh, Does that cover the traditional drivetrain? I mean, yeah, I think we did a little fast, but I
1: think uh, we can, that'll open up some more questions for people.
0: Yeah. If you have compatibility questions, let us know. Absolutely. Because that's where the most, most of the questions end up coming in. Yeah. People are wondering if, you know, I have this shifter and I have this, can I get, you know, that sort of a thing.
1: Yeah. Because there was a, there was a, a a couple years there in transition where SRAM had some of their line in the one-to-one actuation, which means. Mm -hmm basically the one-to-one actuation or exact actuation was set up so that the cable pull was, you know, X amount of millimeters of cable pulling for the same amount of derailleur movement. However much you moved that shifter, that's where the derailleur moved. Exactly. So, um, so there was a, a difference where they had the old version and the new version on some of their stuff. So there's some weird compatibility issues. Um, especially when you get into the downhill stuff, the downhill yeah. derailleurs, there was a little bit of issue there. Uh, but it's, You know, things are kind of at the point now where everything Shimano is compatible with everything Shimano and everything SRAM is compatible with everything SRAM.
0: Yeah, it drives me nuts a bit because I wish, I wish that they would have the same between the road, uh, like road shifters and their mountain bike shifters and SRAM like it used
1: to be. Yeah, and that's the thing is it was really cool back then, but now with the Shimano side, this is another hack um, Wolf Tooth has this little thing called a Tanpan. Yes. So they have the Tanpan 11 and the Tanpan 10, and what that does is that it basically takes a road style shifter. So like an Ultegra or Durace mechanical shifter. Mm-hmm. And then you run through the whole system and where the cable normally goes into the derailleur, you have this little guy that has a little wheel on it. Yeah. And what it does is your cable wraps around the small diameter mm-hmm. and then spins around and wraps around the big diameter, however it works. And it basically changes the cable pole so that the cable pole of a road shifter will actually pull a mountain XT derailleur or SLX or XTR or whatever. And them for 10 speed and 11 speed yeah. so that it makes it correct. So that for like people with gravel bikes who want a mountain type clutched derailleur, it converts the cable pull. But it's the problem is setup. they don't do a Shimano road shifter to SRAM. Yes. They don't do a SRAM road to SRAM mountain either. They just have the Shimano one.
0: I think I know how to solve this. Well, at di least for that, yeah. I was just going to say a electronic two. shifting, yeah, or and etap, yeah, or if they come Give, out with etap I would wide be, range, if it didn't hurt it. your eardrums, I would be pounding on the table right now saying, "Give us eagle etap."
1: Eagle etap would be great. I also think that, um, electric, like a force electric bird, that right, electric bird, e bird, we need e bird. Yeah, <laughs> it would be like a nineteen seventies. Pontiac Firebird with the big screaming chicken on the hood (laughs) set up as a hybrid. (laughs) That is an (laughs) e-bird. That's an
0: e-bird right there. Uh, Let's just, gearboxes, It's a better way to do it. Uh, It is. It's just a matter of uh, getting light enough and then also... Strong enough. Yeah, strong enough. Mm -hmm. And a big part of it too is going to be marketing, getting uh, brands to jump on with being okay with, number one, not only manufacturing this, but selling it and manufacturers, then also bike manufacturers having to support. It's a lot of moving parts. A lot of shoes have to drop for that. So. Exactly. But
1: I think it's coming You know, along. I think that it's doing well. I think that Shimano finally got smart with their Alfine hubs, which used to be 11 speed. Mm-hmm. And now they've dropped them down to eight speed because they're like, hey, we can't make these little planetary sets big enough yeah. or strong enough at the size they are. So mm-hmm. we're going to drop it down to eight speed from 11, simplify it a little bit and then make it go from there. So yeah. and they've got DI2, they've got mechanical. Um, there's a, there is a bunch of, of gearbox things going on but i think it's still in its infancy agreed unfortunately
0: steven let's close things out with our tips okay you don't care they're counting on your tips to live all right the first one uh i'll jump in with mine really okay. quick that's fine okay. why don't you
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah uh the one that i want to talk about is from so I did a race. We talked about it before, but single track six is yeah. from trans Rockies, that organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, they're doing next year. They actually is cool. We talked to them about this and I think they're taking our advice or perhaps they had it too. One rule about they're good taking I- our advice. It's us. It's all us. And- <laughs> One rule about good ideas is that if you have a good idea, that means that somebody else has already had it or is having it at the same moment, at least.
1: Unless it's my good idea okay. or your good idea. <laughs> yeah, dude, If yeah. it's the MTV podcast, good idea. It's totally original and we didn't steal it from anybody. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first, people.
0: So we talked to them about, uh, so it's a six-day stage race. Yes. And they let people, if they wanted to do just three stages, they could do the first three. Okay. And we said, well, it'd be cool if, you know, sure, you could do like the last three as well as an option. But like just buy three and then pick whichever three you want to do. One, three, and five, two, four, and six, whatever. Exactly. And they're doing it. Which is awesome. That's cool. Uh, they're also kind of doing like a best, like a, a greatest hit. So they're going back to a bunch of really cool locations this year that they haven't, uh, that they visited over the years. Okay. So you can be sure that this is basically going to be the best XC riding in the BC interior, but XC has a massive asterisk by it. Mm-hmm. This is not XC for what we ride in the states. It's XXC. Be ready, people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you want, bring a downhill bike. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly stuff. Um, if you bring a hardtail, that's I think you like, need to bring a 150 mil trail bike, not a yeah. downhill bike, and not if a you bring if you bring a sixteen yeah like sixteen pound hardtail, you are still going to hate yourself on the climbs. They were so hard. So it was a it was a true mountain bikers race. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, they're they're working together with Dirt Rag, that company, mm-hmm. uh, the Dirt Rag Mag, I should say, and they're giving away a free single track th- three entry, and I believe it's in exchange for like a survey, basically. So. Um, if you check that out, uh, go to it, you can look it up on single track six. If you see search single track six on Instagram, you can mm-hmm. find them on there yeah. and, uh, check that out. It'd be sweet to win because they're going to give transportation costs too. That's not flights to and from, but that is every day you're going to be like traveling to a new location and they will haul you everywhere you need to go. And last year, the most amazing thing to me was that that was perfectly seamless. Yeah. I, I don't know how it like was a logistical nightmare and it never once felt like a nightmare. It was always perfect. Like you'd finish the stage. There was a car for you and it took you back and you would show up in the morning and they would take your bags for you. Like you never, and then when you showed up, your bags were there. It was just really well done. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron is the guy that puts on that race, Aaron McCollin. He does an incredible job, mm-hmm. such a good race. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. And this is a good chance to get him free. Nice. So check cool. it out.
1: So I've kind of got two tips. Okay. But that's okay because we've been behind, so yeah. you're slacking right now by only having one. So you're a jerk. <laughs> ah, I see what you um, did there. <laughs> so first one is yeah. uh, that uh, new, really newly released documentary, Icarus. Yeah, um, I, I watched that. it. That was awesome. It was good. a really good documentary. It talks a lot about doping and the you know the banned substances of cycling, but it's funny how they went through this whole documentary and they're like this is what we want to focus on and then that became like just the opener that was like that the was like scene. that was like the exhibition game to what it really like what that documentary ended up about should we leave that as like a cliffhanger so we, we really should I mean, <laughs> it was, I mean it was i mean yeah, it that's it's good it opened up the light like you guys think tour de france is bad just you should wait. see the olympics <laughs>
0: just wait yeah just wait so go
1: watch it um it's on netflix it's um it's pretty awesome it's good so go watch it
0: yeah i don't know if you saw this also pretty sad but uh like uh competitors in the iditarod Mm -hmm. which is that the dogs dogs are are showing banned
1: substances now too they're doping their dogs which is they're giving them opioids so that they're like crazy and don't get tired it sucks
0: pieces of garbage i know
1: terrible humans yeah uh, sorry, Alaskans um, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just my kidding. sister's an Alaskan. Yeah. Well, I have a <laughs> good bunch humans. of friends who were born in yeah, Alaska okay, and yeah, my yeah. Aunt and uncle lived there. So either yeah, way. Yeah. Good um, humans. Yeah. Good humans. Uh, well, I mean, sure. Some of them are probably jerks, but as with every, yeah. Yep. Um, so
0: my bike. Yes. Thing. You've been riding a bike that is, uh, that's, it's, it's still parties, dude. I, so I don't know what it is about
1: my Cannondale super X. That bike is so freaking capable at being whatever you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's my rigid mountain bike. Yeah. It's my across race bike. It's my long distance gravel bike. It's such a good bike. It's my commuter when I want to ride to work. And then just this last weekend, I went and did a century on it. Yes, yeah. I, I did a road century, people. But yes. Let's be honest. If you've ever been out to Eastern Nevada... <laughs> those roads are not, I mean, they're gravel roads at best. Like they're terrible. It it was a bad day as far as like comfort on the road. It wasn't smooth pavement. Like a lot of people are used to. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a really hard century that we did, but it's, um, something that the Nevada state parks puts on and it's called the park to park century. Yeah, And it's, you know, they do a 40 mile, a 60 mile, and then they do the extreme, which is a hundred mile. And you went extreme. Yeah, I went extreme, but I mean, (laughs) let's be honest, it really wasn't yeah, I'm doing an X with my arms right now. All right. I'm going to go get a tattoo on the back of my neck now. Um, sorry, that was a triple X Vin Diesel reference. Sorry, I'm a terrible person. Um, but it, the bike was just super comfortable. The The ride was awesome. It was only 5,000 feet of climbing. So it wasn't a huge century by any means. Like in our area, you know, around the country, there's very different riding. So 5,000 feet in a century sounds like a lot like a big ride for a lot of people, but in Nevada, that's in Northern bad. California, if you're not pulling a hundred feet uh, of vertical per mile, yeah, like ten thousand foot in a century, yeah, that's not the average. Like that's the average. Yeah. So my ride was technically an easy century for our area, um, but the state parks puts on this ride every year, and it's fully supported. There's like rangers and sheriffs and nhp that are actually like on the one spot where we're on a highway yeah and they are like shuttling us around like
0: oh, that's lights cool.
1: and si- not sirens but lights <laughs> you that know making sure that we don't die on this highway yeah, yeah. and then but we go to four really cool state parks and they do all the aid stations at the state parks at like that's vista cool. points and stuff so it was really fun um and i got to go with some really cool for uh really good friends and just cool people um And it was just a lot of fun. It was really cool. So
0: the Super X is a road bike, or it's a cross bike. It's a cyclocross bike. It can be a killer road bike. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is
1: they they talk about the Super X being killer cross geometry. It is like the cyclocross bike to own right now. Yeah. Out of everybody's. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants a Super X, and it is flipping amazing. I love the bike. It's super comfortable and stable. But it's very nimble. I mean, just there's so much to the geometry of that bike and how they built it and how they set it up that makes it actually a really awesome all-around bike.
0: So to answer the questions that we get a lot of the time when people are asking like what road bike should I get to train on? We answered one earlier, that was more of a, a budget related one, but if you can, get a Super X because yeah. you're going to be able to do everything on it. Yeah.
1: I mean, you've the thing has, you know, it's good. Mine set up with 30C road tire. Well, I didn't have road tires. I had Mavic's All Road tire, mm-hmm. which is like their gravel tire. Yeah. Um but it's pretty much just a V-treaded semi-slick like it's made for road right it's not made for gravel at all um with those on it in 30c set up fully tubeless one water bottle the fa- uh, fabric cageless and then the fabric cageless um keg the, the tool keg mm-hmm. loaded down it was 17.2 pounds holy cow yeah
0: that is uh, <clears throat> a stock x ex- s works venge bias with e-tap yeah, In the size XL. Yeah. And it is 18.5
1: <clears throat> pounds. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so this thing set up, you know, I had a 44 tooth um, spider ring on the front, which is, yeah. is Cannondale spiderless yep. chain ring, which is probably one of the best looking chain rings out Looks there. Looks good. Um, and then I had E13's TRS race on the back. So I had 513% gear range. So my top end was on the roadside like having a 5311. It was actually a little bit better than a 5311. And then my crawl gear was like having a 3234. Nice. I so I had awesome. an underdrive on the top and I had a really big gear on the on the or I guess an underdrive on the bottom and a really big, um, gear on the, on whatever. Anyway, it was good. It was phenomenal. (laughs) Like, you know, the only thing is like on the road, if the grade got to a certain percentage, you were like, okay, second gear is too much. First gear is not enough, but that happens anyway. Yeah. And, but the thing just all around, like, I love that bike. Yeah. Check out our Instagram. I got really cool pictures of it, but, um, I love that bike. It's, it's
0: just an awesome bike. It's sweet. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's it. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. We will be doing one next week. Yes. We won't be back on track. Yes, we are. Yes. So submit your questions at mtbpodcast.com. We'll come through a lot of questions next week and get to those, uh, before we prep for another deep dive, where we go into things, let us know if there's a specific topic on bikes that you want us to go into on deep diving. It could be mechanical or it could be something that's more. Uh, cultural, it could be something that is more scientifically based with training, whatever yeah. it is, yeah, uh, we can get into it. It could be whether you should wear a helmet and glasses from the same brand or a different brand. It <laughs> <All laughs> could be something that <laughs> silly <Yeah. laughs> it really could, yeah. whatever you want, send it in and share this podcast with your friends. We appreciate it. Check out the store and we'll chat with everybody soon. Thanks. And guys. remember,
1: wait, oh. yes, we didn't talk about top caps. We didn't talk about oh. t-shirts. All of those things are there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. guys should buy them. We yes. You like them. Yes.